passage, but I need to get my Bible here in my notes. Have not been dismissed yet. Could, could all of the children then be dismissed and go with Miss Rosalie out the side door there? Apologize for the uh, late delay. Um, shoot. This morning our scripture reading is from um, Luke 23. here. There we go. So from Luke 23, I want to say 35 through 43. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, we, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning to all of you. Let me see if I got this, yeah. Uh, maybe just one caveat. I know some of you aren't feeling the greatest here this morning, neither am I. Um, so it's not going to prevent our worship service. It's just somewhat distracting for me. Um, so in case you notice something a little off, that's just in the background there. But it kind of is a perfect lead in here because one of the things that I've heard um, is that all good things must come to an end. Um, apparently even feeling well, as many of you can testify to. But there are better things, right? I mean, vacations all eventually come to an end, right? We're now kind of just getting to the height of winter, summer, with its long days and warm nights eventually comes to an end. The wonderful dessert that we'll all eat at Thanksgiving, eventually like that empty pie plate, will come to an end. Chili cook-off rains eventually come to an end. I'm coming for Rosalie and Pastor Jeff. I'm still not exactly sure how that worked out, but in 2020, eventually all cook-offs come to an end. In fact, everything that has a beginning comes to an end, right? Pregnancies. I let the young mothers in there, the mothers with young children in this room tell me whether or not pregnancy is a good thing. Um, but pregnancy, eventually, you do have a good thing at the end of it. School eventually comes to an end, right? Graduation. Careers come to an end. Monuments come to an end. What that was. Oh, now I can't. Is it? Are we still going? Okay. Let's see if I can go back there. We'll see here. Monuments come to an end. Empires come to an end. People come to an end. 
even, even preaching series from books of the Old Testament that are fairly large come to an end. All things that have a beginning come to an end. And the gift of endings for us, similar to beginnings, is that they invite us to reflection, to the bigger questions of life, of purpose, of meaning, and of our relationship to them. When the show's over, when you've gone through the whole book, when the meal's eaten, when the construction's completed, when the life has expired, we naturally move to evaluation. It was good, it was bad, it was humorous, it was sad, it was satisfying, it was frustrating, it was true, it was untrue. And all evaluation that we give is based on what we think it should have been and what it actually was. The conclusion of something invites us to ask, what was its purpose or its point, and did it do that or was it that? This connection between the termination or the conclusion of something and its overall purpose can be seen in the word end itself, right? It has two meanings. End can mean, for instance, if I were to go across, you could say if I stop walking here that this is where my walk ended. On the other hand, you could also say that the end of my walk was to be closer to Bob Vieira, right? That was its purpose or its goal. Meditating on this connection between uh, the end as final and the end as purpose is something that's not often encouraged by the world around us. I'm not sure if any of you have ever been um, in a place where you've had a child asking the why question, right? Every answer comes back with another why. That was me when I was five, by the way, so it'd only be right if I was revisited with, with that experience. But if you can imagine... If you can imagine having a five-year-old Cody right next to me and asking that why question, you could answer it easily first, right? I mean, if you were to ask me, why did you walk over here? And I answered the question because I wanted to be close to Bob Vieira. But then, right, it would come back again, but, but why? And I might be able to respond to the question because human beings are made for relationship. Being close to Bob Vieira is something that gets me closer to the relationship between he and I. But then you could, of course, return with the answer, well, why? And maybe I could tell you at that point, in that moment, that the reason that human beings are made for relationship is because God made us after his own likeness, right? And God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, you have a God who is a God of relationship. And so we, likewise, being made in his likeness, have relationship. But then you could ask that question again, couldn't you? But, but, but why? And at that point, then, you could say something maybe along these lines, that God made us in his own likeness because God is love, and as love has designed to sort of create us, make us to share in his eternal life of love, of peace, of joy. That's simply who God is. And ultimately, at that point, you could say, God is the end of all wise, all questions, and all things, right? This is the purpose and the goal. At that moment in time, even if five-year-old Cody should ask why, I would have to answer that question and say, this is the place where we've gone as far as our thinking can take us, as far as our comprehension alone will take us. 
But ultimately, I would answer you this, that when you get that big the question and you go all the way from why did I walk over here to be to Bob Vieira, and you get to how that is a part of this whole end that all creation moves toward, to be a part of God's life and love and peace and joy, even though it's not something discursively that ends that sort of line or that chain or logic for us, it is something that ultimately can be a satisfying answer to that question. Because for anybody in this room that's ever actually experienced love, which would be all of you, when you encounter the genuine article and the real thing, you know that this is something that's lasting. You know that this is something that's worthwhile. You know that it's something that matters. You know somehow that every fiber of our being was made for it. From the smallest thing to the largest thing. Of course, the world oftentimes, apart from Christ, really struggles to be able to answer that why question. It doesn't have, ultimately, that much of a satisfying answer to it. You could, of course, answer the first part of it. If you're still sort of in the world in our culture, you could say, I walked closer to B so that I could, I walked over here so that it could be close to Bob Vieira. But then you have to answer the why question with something like, because I felt like it. I went over there because I felt like it, maybe because I needed to do it, maybe I needed to move something on the microphone, or maybe that's just the way that this whole space is designed. I needed to move during my sermon so that I could be over there. And the thing with all those answers to the why questions is that none of them are ultimately satisfying. They just tend to brush aside the question rather than actually answer that question, but why? What's the end goal here? What is the purpose? There was a 20th century philosopher, Albert Camus, who actually took our culture where so oftentimes you have this absence of God. He took it to its ultimate conclusion, the meaninglessness of existence. What Camus saw was that without God, all reality is simply an abyss of arbitrary emptiness, something that he always called the absurdity of being. Everything that exists, everything that is, which is kind of implicitly what materialism or something called nihilism assumes, has no point and no purpose. Things just are the way that they are. And what I like about Camus is, is that he's willing to actually lay everything out there clearly on the table. Unlike most people in the world that kind of reject God or live in the secular world, he's willing to face the difficult but logical consequence to denying God. If there is no God, if what you see is all there is, then nothing really actually matters. There's no answer to why question. Whether I've loved or whether I've hated, whether I've experienced joy or suffering, whether, um, excuse me, whether... Um, I've lived or whether I've died. For Camus, and he gets to this a lot, the ultimate question is why to go on living? Because it doesn't make any difference if you live 100 years, 10 seconds, or not at all. Of course, Ecclesiastes already saw this long before he did, that everything is ultimately vanity apart from God. For most of us here this morning, meaning is something that we intuitively understand and receive. It's just simply built into the very fabric of our world. Even the youngest child acts with purpose, with meaning, and with direction. And if you pay attention closely enough, if you can see it written in our world, you know that we were made for more. 
But what sin oftentimes does in our culture and in our world is rather than having us wonder at the wonderful ends and purposes for which we're made to be in relationship, to be created after God's likeness, it entrances us to constant distraction. The invitation to always live in the moment and so never actually get around to thinking about the end, which is also our true end. And the world is able to convince itself that the superficial, me and everything that I see and everything that I want, is all that there is to this life. But the gift of our worship here this morning is that it exposes exactly this untruth, that the world around us doesn't even have any greater purpose or meaning to it. But in order to do that this morning, and this morning is kind of a special morning, I guess I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But in order to do that this morning, we do this strange and this difficult, but also this wonderful thing of being able to address ends and endings. And in doing so, we're able here to proclaim the end of all things which is God and Christ who has been raised from the dead and now reigns as king eternal. And what our end is in that, to be able to love and to glorify God, to serve and to enjoy God forever as Christ has already shown us in his life. One of the ends that we reached last week was that preaching series out of the book of Deuteronomy. So now you can finally all check off your number one bucket list item. That has been done. We have concluded it. And I do hope that that accomplishes the end for which it was purposed. That now going forward, you're able to take away an understanding of the Torah, the law, and the teaching of the OT as a guide for God's goodness and love. I hope you can see now, having done this series, how the law seeks to transform all the details of life from the smallest chore to the greatest dream to become in a moment or an occasion of witness um, for God, at least for Israel in its context. And I hope that you can see how Christ is the perfection of the law and its completion. He actually is the very literal end of the law in terms of its goal and its fulfillment. But there's another end that we're at this morning. Not sure if you all have known from at least this past year having gone through all the sort of Christian calendar year, where at the very end, this is the last Sunday of the church's year. And you might ask yourself, why does the Christian year end here at a, diff at a different point than the civil one does on December 31st? It's a good question, and it has an answer, but it's a really, really long one. So I'm not going to answer it this morning. Uh, all I'll say to you is this. Uh, that the church year kind of follows, you know, before computers, before electricity, um, and all that stuff, which was thousands of years of civilization before these last 200 years. This was the time of the year where the harvest was over, where all the equipment was being stored, where you had to have all of your preparation for wintering done, and you had to finish all of your business trips. Um, because remember, they didn't have automobiles, and there's like precipitation coming down that's frozen, and you don't have like heated whatever. So usually everything at this point in the year was winding down. The year kind of, you had to end the, the year at some point, and this seemed like a natural con conclusion. Uh, you have vegetation also shedding leaves and all that stuff. 
So this was kind of historically the, the end of the year. Um, so in this last Sunday, as the church thought about ends, the end of the year, it chose to there meditate and to celebrate the reign and the rule of Christ as the end, the fulfillment, the completion, and the goal of all things. Because all things exist through Christ and for Christ. And why the church did this, excuse me, why the church did this here exactly is because we know in this world that not all endings are good ones. In the Old Testament passage that Robin read for us this morning, the prophet Jeremiah addresses the people of God during the time that the temple has been destroyed and they have been deported and enslaved now to the larger empires around them. It was an ending for the people of God at that point that left such a deep crater of hopelessness and despair in them, having lost their culture, their heritage, their history, and their worship, that they wondered themselves, read sometimes, you know, Pastor Jeff had suggested lamentations. Read sometime, they wonder what the value is in continuing to live. In the Colossians passage for this morning, Paul's addressing a small congregation of believers who's surrounded by the greatest empire on earth which would soon be bearing down on them for arrest, for persecution, and for martyrdom, even like Paul himself. And in the Christ the King Sunday, the gospel passage here this morning, you of course have the title over Christ at that point, that he is King of the Jews. As the Savior of the world, our Lord and our God, hangs on a cross between two thieves, suffering and suffocating to his very death. These are not the good endings that many of us in this world would hope for or have been promised. And maybe as you come here this morning, I know I've listened to, again, some of the stories that you guys have told me about your lives, about the lives of those that are around you. But maybe this morning you find yourself in a somewhat similar place. To use Paul's language, that you find yourself sharing in Christ's own sufferings in your life. Perhaps in some ways you're facing an end of what has been up to this point pretty good health. Maybe you've grieved the loss of a loved one or a family member. Or the loss of a career or a relationship or what has been a source of joy or of comfort in your life. You've seen that come to an end. Maybe like the people of Israel, it feels like it's blasted this crater of hopelessness and despair. Or maybe it feels like you're just teetering on the edge or on the brink about to be pushed over. You know, the gift of this worship service on Christ the King Sunday is that you're not alone. Of course, our very Savior experienced that. Paul experienced that. The people of Israel and Judah experienced that. Each and every person in this room experiences that because to live in this world, which is sinful and which is broken of which we are all a part, is to experience those endings, those painful, those sad, and those tragic ones. But God invites us in this, into this space this morning. God gives us the gift of the end of the Christian year when everything seems to be concluding and coming to an end. 
to remind us of the good news that Christ has revealed, that God is the one with the final say on endings. And for God, it ends with an eternal triumph. You know, as we're all here this morning, God's grace has revealed us. This is the goodness of who God has been to each one of us. God has not only is able to make that ending be the ending for all of us, for all of creation, be able to reconcile, to redeem, and to restore all things, but God has already let us in on that, even here, even now, so that we can anticipate in joy and in thanksgiving the life that God has promised us through God in Christ. And more than that, God has privileged us all to be the ones, to be the vanguard, right? To be the first fruits to the rest of the world, to be able to show and to demonstrate what that life will be eternally here and now and to strengthen and edify each other. So then the question this morning, how do we live that? How do we proclaim Christ as king both here and now and eternally? And as many of you would expect, you're already in the middle of it. Having marked out time in your life for worshiping, for praising, for singing, for adoring Christ as King, as Lord overall, even here and even now in this moment. It may seem a simple thing to be here present in this service, but everything in our world encourages us to think about ourselves and about the problems that we face in our lives first to prioritize those things. To be able to come here in this place and nevertheless proclaim that Christ is King, that Christ is Lord, that Christ is the power above all the powers at work in our lives is a confrontational act with our world. It is something that continues to show the world who is Lord. And I'm thankful for this morning that God has gathered you here, that you have responded to that. I've seen you proclaim Christ as Lord in your lives as you faithfully seek the Lord's counsel, his instruction, his guidance, his blessing, his help in prayer again and again for your families, for your friends, for your neighbors, knowing that there is one that has been given to whom we must listen and follow, and there is only one who ultimately has the power to change and to restore. I've seen you proclaim Christ as king as you have received and reflected on the scriptures. As I hear in your lives, you pursue the very same mindset of Christ on the things that are above so that you might live them out in your daily life. I've seen many of you do it as you forgive those things that only could be forgiven if God is able to set everything to rights. I've seen you proclaim Christ as king to the hungry and to the poor, those who have seemingly reached the end of their rope or their lives as they come on Wednesday evening to the 3D dinner. I've seen you guys proclaim Christ as king oftentimes in your families, to those that are hurting, to those that have experienced illness, sickness in, in body or in mind. I've seen you proclaim Christ's Reign in word and in deed as you've come out on children's holidays, giving your time and your energy to families from the community without thought of compensation or reward from them. I've seen many of you do it here as you've worked at different places in these facilities, prioritizing caring for God's house and for a sanctuary to be able to worship because this is the place where we anticipate most fully Christ, 
his coming who has come and his return. And finally this morning, you can proclaim Christ's reign as we all come to this table. On this final Sunday of the year, this table is Christ's reception banquet for the past year. It's completion in him and also for all the years of your life up to this point. The table is able to communicate and celebrate all that was good about this past year and those years. But remember that the table also receives us and it remembers what has been broken and lost in your life in this year and prior years. Because the one whose body was broken and blood was shed has risen and will triumph over even those tragic endings. Our King's present and eternal rule is celebrated here and now this morning. Not with a display of plundered wealth or treasures, nor a throne of swords from the vanquished, nor a monument erected from stones of defeated strongholds. It's his own body and his own blood. And what would be the end of even the greatest king here on earth, death, the unvanquishable foe, has now been shown powerless in Christ's victory over the grave. To enter into his kingdom, to enter into Christ's reign, we take part in his broken body and his shed blood, confessing that as we consume them, that we in the world have tried to create or tried to escape our own end. We come to this table this morning having to admit that we are nothing and we have nothing apart from God. All life flows from God, and it was our attempt to defy God's reign, which resulted in our death. Our disobedience ultimately cost the Son his life. But nevertheless, Christ offers himself gladly to each of you this morning, because this is a good news, of king, uh, this is a good news and a kingdom of freedom. Even our worst sin was no match for God. And as we cross the threshold into this kingdom, as we receive the invitation to this banquet, to this eternal reign, we gain a, a ruler and we gain a world in which grace knows no bounds and in which God's love triumphs over all the endings of this world. In truth, many good things will come to an end, but never God, nor his love, nor his faithfulness. Let's shall we pray. Lord our God, we are grateful this morning at this Sunday, as we proclaim your Son, who is the one that reigns over all things. To know that in all the endings that we experience in our life, both good and bad, that you're able to affirm, to celebrate those, Lord, that have been good, that you're able to redeem and restore those that have temporarily ended in a way that we would not desire. Grant, Lord, us the faith to be able to fix our eyes and that final end, the end toward which all things move, towards which we were purposed and created, your son Jesus. Amen. Supper instituted by our Lord and Lord.